0: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards, only at Sleep Number Stores or sleepnumber.com.
3: You are listening to Mist Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by the band 12-gauge Outrage, Downforce Radio, the nation's motorsport station, and MissedApexPodcast.com, we live F1. Today's episode is called, None Shall Pass. I'm your host, Richard Spanners-Ready, and I'm joined by Matt to Rumpets.
1: How's it going, Matt? Going pretty good. So you managed to watch some of the race then, despite your childcare duties.
3: I know. I've been left alone with the children all weekend, but yes, I did. I propped them up in front of the TV to watch a movie whilst I settled down in front of the laptop to watch the Grand Prix. Unfortunately, the movie I put them in front of was Sausage Party, which despite the colourful looking thumbnail is not a children's movie. Okay, that is a story for another day. Matthew Trumpets, tell you what. It's not good for us when Lewis Hamilton doesn't win. Do you know why? Uh, Why? Much less people listen and download this podcast when Lewis Hamilton doesn't win. All of last year and this season so far, when he does well, our downloads do well. So we really do need to start rooting for hashtag 44. Or we could root for,
1: I don't know, Botas instead. I don't want to. I want Lewis to win. Uh, no. I know. I, I've been working on the appropriate way to characterize the race, but I think I'm going to have to save it for later.
3: We are an independent podcast hosted by MissedApexPodcast.com. We aim to bring you your race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here so you can play it with kids in the background or at work. It's nothing like sausage party. Okay, joining us today is Downforce Radio guru, Jake Sanson. How's it going, Jake?
2: It's going really well, and I totally sympathise with you. My kids keep seeing that DVD in the supermarket and going, "Dad, can we buy it? Dad, can we buy it?" I'm like, "No, you really can't." I've seen the trailer; you really can't have that movie.
3: You're a better parent than me. You've brought along a young friend from Downforce Radio as well. We have racer John Monroe. How's it going, John? It's going very well, thanks. Spanners is delighted, just delighted to be here. And you're our first Scottish man we've ever had on the panel. Apparently
4: so. Apparently so. And um, despite what you might think, we do. We have seen films like *Sausage Party* up here. They have reached this far up. And uh, I'd also say not to let your children watch that film. Quite a quite a safe bet.
3: Could have done with that advice about seven hours ago. Okay, then let's start off with some big dirty news. Big dirty news. The big dirty news is, of course, the race. We're going to review that race in front of our live stream as well. Hello to the live stream. I'm looking at the names. Patrick Green, Paul Wright, Matthew Graff, Baha Matemat, uh, Hannah Hassel, Furlig. Hi. Welcome to you all. If you want to join the live stream find Spanners Ready on YouTube, subscribe to that channel. You'll get an alert when we go live. Matt, what was your overall impression of this race? I think it's fair to say, despite Eddie Jordan's protestations on the podium, he goes, it's a thrilling race. It was a fantastic race. I mean, it wasn't really a thrilling race. I know you don't need cars passing every five seconds to be a good race, but you need some racing, surely.
1: Yeah, I, I think I ultimately have decided to go with an almost tense nothing burger of a race. I like As that. being pretty much a characterization. characterization.
3: Yeah, so it had the potential. And fair enough, you, there are a lot of races where you look at strategies converging and, and coming together, and you think, oh, there's a lot of potential here, then it doesn't quite pull off, or the thing doesn't quite happen. But really, to characterize this race like that, that's not entirely fair, is it, Jake? Because... I don't think it really had that same buzz apart from maybe the last few laps.
2: I thought about this when I was coming to get on the programme and I think I've come up with a way I've described it. This is the, it was the most fascinating, boring Formula One race I think I've ever seen. There's like a collection of about 20 Formula One races where nothing has ever happened. That was one of them in my personal opinion, but I think it was the most interesting Boring Formula One race that I think I've ever seen. I don't. I think that kind of makes sense to me, but I think it's got more ramifications for the overall championship than it has as being a great motor race in its own right.
1: Well, I don't know, but uh, Hannah Hannah Hassel from the chat room, Patreon of the show, says that her mum fell asleep during the race.
2: That's a slow burn, right there, isn't it? It That's a burn.
1: But I have to kind of agree with you because I, w- I was covering the race and I was watching it on the app as well as on the TV. And on the app, it was incredibly tense watching the back and forth sector by sector battle and being able to see also. And I, I think they could have done a little better job of this on the telly uh, of, of looking at the big clumps of traffic coming up at Botas that were going to slow him down and help Vettel out as, as he closed in in those final laps. But, yeah, it did take an awfully long time to get to the chase, as it were. And there was nothing going on behind him. But the, the lack of midfield action really hurt the overall broadcast because usually they tend to be offset the midfield battles and the, um, the battle at the front. And this time there was just basically the battle at the front, and that was it.
3: But speaking of the battle of the front, we did have new boys up front, John, didn't we? Did, were you surprised to see the Ferraris actually lock out and sort of break this spell over Mercedes?
4: I was surprised, um, given the course, the way the season's panned out so far. But I wasn't really surprised after how practice went. Um, I mean, it's obviously great to see the the red cars locking out the front row, um, as I'm sure we'll cover. You know, it's the first time it's happened in a long time. Uh, the stat keeps getting spewed out everywhere. But since the first time since uh, Manny Cure in 2008 that we've had an all Ferrari front row. So, um, yeah, I was a bit surprised, to be honest, but I think it's another kind of step to proving that Ferrari really are, you know, going to be there, um, you know, and they're, they have the pace at so many different circuits this year.
3: So you don't think it was a bit spawny? Uh, I mean,
4: it was close. That's the other thing. You know, we saw Bottas. He was, he was only, he was less than a tenth off of pole position. He was third, so... Um, you know, it was it was close. It was an interesting session. But um, yeah, it was it was definitely throwing the
3: cat amongst the pigeons. So, Matt, what are we really seeing here with the Ferraris qualifying on pole? Because the Mercedes, even when they weren't the fastest race car in 2013, they still had just that outright speed. If they've ever struggled with anything, it's been race pace and tyres. Uh, they could have had pole, though, couldn't they?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was I think if you looked at the best sectors that Valtteri put together, technically he could have had pole but the car was more challenging in the third sector for mercedes than vice versa in the first two sectors for the uh for the ferrari and I, and i think at the end of the day you're just going to have to look at the cars and say that the ferrari seems to have a bigger drivability window right now so, so you- that over the course of a whole lap even on a slightly strange layout like sochi they're they're going to be in with a shout. And it's good for them that they were able to convert a uh, pole position finally. But as with everything, you know, you got to look at Saturday as one thing, but the points are on Sunday.
3: Yeah, but I mean, for the last two seasons, even if they have had a shocking... Uh, qualifying performance? Because there must have been times over the last three years where both the Mercedes drivers just had a terrible qualifying, but no one noticed. And we're sitting here kind of going, oh, yeah, look, Rosberg was managed to get three tenths up on Hamilton. But like secretly, they both know they had a shocker. But why would they tell anyone when they're seven tenths up on the rest of the field anyway?
1: Yeah, that would be a a very good way to characterize it. Mercedes gap to the rest of the field has entirely been erased so, or it could and be so now yeah.
3: sorry mate it could be as blackout 19 is saying in the chat room that the strange smell of burning oil from the mercedes garage was missing this week so <laughs> as me and summers were talking about there is now restrictions on how much oil they can burn and
1: push past the pistons as extra combustion uh, which they were absolutely not doing if you listen to Bradley Lord yes pick Take-
2: I have to say, you know, that was a, a particularly interesting thing. We actually talked about that a little bit on the Pitford program on Friday uh, about the oil burn. I didn't even know this was a thing that was going on. I didn't even realize that Mercedes had utilized this as a thing. So the fact that, you know, full credit to them for having got away with it for, well, how long have they been doing this now? I'm guessing it's probably been since the hybrids have come in. So about three years at least. So uh, you have to say, I, I think one of the things that was always hilarious about Bernie and Ross Brawn is that Bernie, I think it's been claimed that Bernie always used to say about Ross Brawn. You were always the best Formula One designer because I barely ever caught you cheating. You were always the best cheater in Formula One because I could never catch you. The- so maybe this is kind of a bending of the rules again and Mercedes have finally been caught. Or maybe
3: it. Well, the thing is, though, and only the live stream will pick up this in full, is when you ask anyone of repute whether this is happening, they say No. Absolutely not. Oh, no.
2: Uh, was, no, no, no. No, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is.
3: So the last real issue from qualifying is why Why did Hamilton's performance blow? Because we are not used to seeing him that far off. There's a four-way fight for qualifying after all these years. And suddenly, even with a good first sector, suddenly he's down half a second, Matt. And we're not used to it. And I don't like it.
1: Well, you cannot like it. And you can take into account uh, the fact for example, that his floor was changed after qualifying because they they thought there was an issue with his floor. But what you could really take heart from is that post race he thought he had very well defined what problem they were having. Yeah, he I saw that. Like a fix for Barcelona was definitely available to him. Like, like it, whether it was a wrong setup direction, or I'm not really sure because he did not elaborate. He but didn't. It's no. clear that it was. It's clear from his point of view, there was an issue with the car and that that issue seems to have been identified and is correctable. So, you know, I would be surprised to see him languishing that far behind at the next Grand Prix. Yeah. And obviously he didn't become half a
3: second slower overnight just from partying, as Crofty strangely suggested. If it hasn't affected him this far, it's not going to affect him now. But do you think there's a case of our man Lewis Hamilton? He's normally brilliant. He's half a second down. Uh, what should we do? Uh, I don't know. Everything seems fine. Should we change the floor? Can't hurt. <laughs> yeah, I, I just got that feeling that, you know, yeah, it might have been... I mean, setup is part of being a racing driver, isn't it, John? So ultimately, that that responsibility kind of goes, comes down to you as well.
4: Yeah, yeah. It's a mixture of, of a driver and engineer working together, I think, to, to obviously work out what's actually going wrong with the car, but also... Um, like what make it suit your driving style to fit the circuit, you know. And it's a really weird one with Hamilton this weekend. You know, you can't. Obviously, he's not turned into a rubbish driver overnight, but it's the you know he was consistently off in every single session. So you know, it would point towards the fact that there is definitely going to be something up with the car. Um, we're just going to have to see what happens in Spain. But either way, it's definitely not going to have helped his attitude going into the rest of the season.
3: No, it's not. Let's go into the rest of the session and the weekend, which was the race. Yeah, that's how the start of the race went for the whole of the Hanfosi. Matt, you know I rely on you now to tell me where the race was won and lost. Let's start with the actual start blinder from Bottas.
1: Well, yeah, that was pretty much the race right there. If you, Wherever you were pretty much by turn three, that's where you stayed, unless you were Daniel Ricciardo and your brakes caught on fire. And in in the case of uh, Bottas, not only did he have a good start, um, but he was able to get round with the extra power of the Mercedes engine. He was able to get round easily Vettel in the in the in that first complex of turns. Now Hamilton actually was on a similar start, but unfortunately for him, as they were coming up to turn two, Vettel jinked left to try and stay uh more in touch with, with Botas. And that caused him to break early and basically gave Raikon in the position. And, you know. Uh, As far as the top four were concerned, yeah, that's pretty much a race right there. Not really. Go,
2: Go with me on this, but I think that this Grand Prix was actually lost three years ago in 2014, when we first started coming to Sochi because I I do genuinely think that this circuit does not lend itself to Formula One races. It's great for GP2. It's brilliant for GP3. It's awful for Formula One drivers who can actually drive racing cars. So it's it's a difficult one, because personally, if this race had taken place at the Moscow Raceway, for example, which is a bit similar to Istanbul Park. It might have been an entertaining motor race. But Sochi, I think it's it's hilarious because we got rid of Valencia because it was boring. So what do we do? Two years later, we get a Grand Prix round. Sochi. Oh, it'll be fine. Now, it, it's an awful circuit. And, you know, we've had some people uh, there on the stream, have, I think, uh, on the gas said, is Sochi the Lance Stroll of F1 tracks? <laughs> no, because Lance, Lance Stroll is actually better than Sochi uh, in terms of, you know, creating activity. I mean, he, he's more entertaining. Than Sochi is as a race circuit for a start. So I, I don't like Sochi. Uh, the whole race was won and was lost at the first corner because nobody's able to go over that brand new curve that's on the outside of turn two. So we didn't get the fireworks that we might have got had we not had that. So no, it was just a boring race because of being Sochi.
1: I know we'll get to it, but thanks to those curbs, we also did get the fireworks of Who's to Blame coming up soon. Oh, whose well, fault is this is my favorite bit. But yeah, talking about
3: Sochi, let's take it as a given that Sochi is not a good racetrack for Formula One cars. Be interested if anybody would like to argue with that. I'll, I'll listen, but it is. So the is it a necessary evil? Vortex Mortio was suggesting to me that tracks like Moscow, sorry, Sochi, pay for tracks like Barcelona and Hungary. So is it a necessary evil to keep Spa or Monza? We have to have Abu Dhabi and Sochi.
1: No.
2: <laughs> no, we don't. No, we don't. No.
1: no, no, not at all. And I think Liberty's on the case. But did did my ears deceive me or did you just invite me to argue with you there, Spanners? Argue <laughs> with me.
3: Tell me that Russia is a great racetrack.
1: No, I won't tell you it's a great racetrack, because it's terrible. But it did do one thing today. That I, I think is worth pointing out is if you can cast your mind ahead a little bit to the end of the race on lap 39, Bottas well out in front five, six seconds out in front locked up, I think it was turned 13. And from that moment on, he just about lost the race. If it wasn't for some fortuitously placed traffic on the last couple of laps, Vettel would have been all over his gearbox and it, it would have been a a real fight to the finish. And I just want to say, think about that. All those laps, one tiny mistake, and he just about lost the race. And then consider that every driver out there is driving to that standard in order to maintain their place in the field for all of the laps. And this really did point that out to me, and I felt like it was worth bringing to everybody's attention. No, good. So
3: we're kind of making the differentiation between is it a good race race track or is it a good track that gives you spectator yeah, do you
2: know what? It's, it's a very good point you make there, Spanners, because I do think Sochi is a great exhibition circuit. And uh, Scott Wood was, was actually making a point of this. Rapid Scorpion on YouTube saying it's a great driver circuit. And he was saying he actually enjoyed the spectacle of watching the cars at speed. You really get the sense of that at Sochi. But in terms of cars overtaking each other and having a great battle, you're not going to get that. So it's great for the science of the cars, but it's not great for the sport of the cars.
3: Rapid Scorpion in the chat room says, I say we need an F1 race in the top 20 countries with the biggest F1 fan bases. Build it and they will come. Well, that's certainly one policy. But when you've got like UAE, um, Middle Eastern families throwing like infinite cash at it, that is always going to kind of skew it a little bit, isn't it, Jake?
2: There are some circuits that you can get away with that. Uh, UAE, I would agree it's important to have that on the calendar. Bahrain, I would consider probably not so much uh china i think is an important market to be in malaysia not so much which is why we're not going there there are a couple of them that you could say you know are important singapore is becoming a little bit like monaco in terms of the fact that it's a great event to have on the calendar but in terms of its actual value to the formula one sport worthless i don't really see this yeah i don't really see the circuit as particularly special for formula one it doesn't really give it any credence. But I do agree with uh, Scott to a certain degree. You know, we need to be investing in the markets where there is actually motor racing fanaticism. So South Africa, you know, there's a huge collection of motorsport junkies. We should be having a South African Grand Prix, not just because there's great motor racing that goes on there and a great audience there. But that takes it into a world championship where we're on all six continents. There's quite a few other uh, markets where there should be one. I mean, let's go for the American market. We used to have in the 80s, two or three Grand Prix's in America. What's wrong with doing that again? If there are motor racing fans that are interested in that kind of thing, make a race happen there two or three times a year. We had three Grand Prix's in America uh, in the 80s uh, each year sometimes, and it was very successful. You know, you've got to bring motor racing where motor racing should be.
3: Before we go to Matt, James Funnel says, what? I'm assuming that's your accent. Bahrain is a great circuit. I admit it has no fans, but it produces great racing. Abu Dhabi is the awful one. I somewhat agree with that.
2: It's only been good since they turned it into a night race. I don't know what it is, but I've only ever enjoyed the Bahrain Grand Prix when it's been run at night. In the daytime, it was a snore fest, but now it's a night race. I actually really like it. So maybe that's take all the boring races and make them night races and they'll instantly be good. Maybe.
1: Right. So you're mentioning all these places. I'm just going to go right now, South America. South America, yes, yes. Argentina. Yeah, uh, we're already kind of we're already in Brazil, but Argentina as well. Use Mexico. You could have a whole progression, which is actually uh, I don't know if anyone saw the Sky interviews, but this is one of the things that Liberty was talking about in terms of helping to make better sense out of the Formula One calendar. Is having sort of a sit down series in each of the major areas of the world. I'm personally very excited that this might happen.
3: And and that was a great interview we had with the new management talking about, you know, having regional blocks of Formula One. Uh, But Matthew Graff in the chat room, and I'll try and do the inflection, was uh, F1 at Road A. Shut up. Let me fantasize. Uh, That's where he would like to see Formula One. But you can tell by the way this conversation is going that I'm not massively eager to be getting on with the rest of the race review. Normally, I'm throttling Matt and saying, move on, move down the notes, damn it. But um, I tell you what, Massa, bit of a sick burn when somebody said to him, did you know that Vettel blamed you for not getting out of the way quickly enough? And Massa's response was, Vettel, complaining on the radio? Are you sure? (laughs) I hate him slightly less now.
1: What's even funnier is Vettel went off on a whole rant about Germans complaining in the actual press conference when uh, one of the Italians asked Ferrari some sort of self-defeating type of question. (laughs) It, it was delightful, but yeah, he sort of uh, fulfilled his own uh, fortune there.
3: Okay, so let's go on to where the race was won and lost. Okay, in the end, there was no changes of position. I think the hope for Hamilton pretty much disappeared very early on when we saw they had overheating issues.
1: Right, and and you say there was no change of position, but I will pedantically correct you and say that there were some due to penalties and, of course, Ricardo's brakes turning into a uh, rotating barbecue.
2: That doesn't count. Not, I'm sorry. That, that that doesn't really count as pure race position changes. That's just, you know, farcical more than anything else. But, if, if there isn't even any position changes due to pit stops, surely that doesn't count. Uh,
4: well, let's not forget, though. I mean, there was obviously the incredible battle between the two Cybers where Ericsson passed Verlin in the pit stops and then drove away. I mean, there was that change. There was also, <laughs> obviously, Massa having the slow puncture. So I don't know what you're on about. It was incredible.
2: It, no, I still want Ericsson to get in the seat. I'm sorry. I still want him to get in the seat. And it's not like they're not close to it. That's
3: not The statistic is this is the fourth time in F1 history that there have been no on track passes after lap one. And that's been confirmed, hence the show title, and None Shall Pass. That's quite an incredible stat.
2: What are the other three? I'm interested now. Now that you've mentioned that, I want to know what the other three are. Ah, uh,
3: okay. Oh, in that chat, case... room,
2: chat room. Chat room. They'll know. They'll know. We'll read them in a minute. Because now you've brought that up. That's interesting to me.
3: But there was a chance, Matt, of Vettel passing. Uh, Bottas that was a real possibility and he went out a lot longer but what I've noticed this year I know this is a little bit of an anomaly because anomaly there's no tyre wear we were talking about how the short stint at the end and even the overcut just does not seem to be working under these set of regulations the theory being I can go a bit longer then I'm on fresher tyres at the end and even though I'm behind my pace will be enough to let me overtake and come through the field. That is not working. So I I would like to see teams now. I think it's going to be a battle of people pitting earlier and earlier on stints, knowing this overcut doesn't work.
1: Right. We're getting some answers from the chat room. 2003 Monaco, 2009 Europe and 2005 Indy. So So Europe
3: will have been Valencia, won't it? It's hilarious that
2: 2005 Indy is one of them.
3: (laughs) Oh, was that the one with the six cars?
2: (laughs) Yeah. yeah, it was yeah. so nearly we had an overtake because Barrichello so nearly yeah. got past Michael back and then got forced off. That was the only thing that happened in the entire race. So,
3: oh, so, Matt, no overcuts from now on.
1: Well, yeah, no overcut, no undercut. There was never going to be a cut because essentially you could take somebody like, oh, I don't know, Nico Hulkenberg, who ran 40 laps on ultra soft tires. Wow. Before deciding to change and realize that there's just no degradation at the circuit. And without degradation... You're not really going to have much of anything other than, and this is where it got interesting if you were following along on the app, uh, you're know you you're trying to make all of your time in pit stops and through traffic. And, and this this is strategically where, if there was anything to talk about, this is where it happened because it was a fairly lengthy delta for the pit stop, something like 25 seconds. And so... You know, you would think if you were running Hamilton, you might, you might try and undercut. He might be faster. Like once the car cooled down, which we can talk about in just a minute, you might try and undercut, put him on the tires and let him charge and hope that Raikkonen you know, is going to be bottled up, uh, as they approach traffic. Um, but the reality is, uh, Perez was close enough that he was just lingering in Hamilton's pit window. And as a result, that pretty much went off of the table though in all honesty, wouldn't have helped him that much anyway because the car itself seemed to have some fundamental issues when he was driving it.
3: Uh, Baja saying Vettel overcut in Australia, but if I recall, that wasn't really so much of an overcut as Mercedes just blinked massively first, didn't they?
1: Um, Technically, it was an overcut, but what really killed him was they pitted with a 30% tire life left Hamilton. I have a theory. I know I'm going as quick as I can, and I'm the one who's got to leave, so there you go. But I think it was Alonso parking in the pit lane and causing the second formation lap that really kicked off that chain of events because Mercedes admitted Botas too had trouble. And I think they had calculated the cooling so fine that it literally took them about 10, 12 laps to bleed the extra heat out that the second formation lap brought in. Yeah. And that was it. That's all I want to say. Well.
3: To be fair, I didn't see the whole of the Alonso breaking down. I I heard them saying, oh, you've got to change a mode, try and get something restarted. So presumably they couldn't get the car firing as they wanted to. But he made it all the way around the track and then suspiciously stopped just before the pit lane. There's no way he couldn't find neutral and drift and coast in there. We've seen Alonso push a car back into a pit lane if he really, really wants to. That, my friends, was an F1 mic drop. He got to the pit entry, went, Nope, if I'm not starting, you can all wait for me to get back to my seat. Thank you very much. It was a deck chair. Okay, lads, let's play my favourite game. Whose fault is this? As you know, in my household, there are no no blame situations, and in the court, of spanners there are no racing incidents someone must be to blame for every situation let's go to john monroe who is a racing driver to find out who was at fault between grosjean and palmer today first off john let's catch up with you it's the first time you've come on the show you're our first scottish man thank you very much for joining us on the panel
4: oh thank you very much for having me
3: now you are you are a normal human with normal career aspirations however you also drive uh, mx5s correct? I did, well, I did, yes, I did. And not just to the shops, uh, you were racing in championships, so you are a legit racing driver. Uh, it, yes, yeah, some could class it as that. Um, no, i would had a lot of fun
4: racing MX-5s so, all across the country the last few years, and uh, yeah, it's, it's just a fantastic hobby to be involved with.
2: You forgot to say legit champion, Spaniel. Oh, well Reigning champion in the Bark Max Five Mazda MX-5s. So you forgot to say champion.
3: You're not one of these horribly humble people, are you, John? Because that really doesn't wash on Miss Apex. <laughs> <laughs> I just—it's just good Best to be involved. It's just good to be involved. Okay, John. So, um, so where are you racing now then? Have, have you given up completely? Um, well, we don't have. Unfortunately, we haven't managed to get um, sponsors together to do another season
4: of Masters this year. Uh, I'm actually looking to go into back into the Scottish um, Sprint and Hill Climb Championship in a single seater, hopefully. So once we get that that sorted out, we'll be out um, within the next couple of months is the plan. So, uh, yeah, I'm just really excited about that.
3: You've got that racing driver air about you as well, where you just don't want to, like, <laughs> lord it up. If I was a racing driver, I'd be saying, yes, I am a racing driver. Everybody gather round and listen <laughs> to my stories about racing cars. Well, um and
4: that
2: would make you jason plato
4: <laughs> yeah that's,
2: that's, that's the thing i'm a bit
4: yeah I'm, i mean I, the one thing i'm not very good at being a racing driver is is being like able to to come up with every possible reason why i'm the best in the world like, i'm just not very i'm not very good at the old you know excuses and, and rubbish like that so
3: you couldn't do the palmer sidestep uh, every race to say why it wasn't your fault I couldn't do anything
4: that Julian Palmer does. I just disagree with everything. But anyway, that's just a, that's, that's, that's.
3: Well, it's not a different story because that is the exact situation I want to ask you about. Where can people follow you on Twitter first?
4: Um, People can follow me on Twitter and also Facebook, just at John Monroe Racing.
3: Excellent. So whose fault was it? What we saw was Palmer up the inside. He had, he had Sauber sort of to his left, not as big a deal as he made out. And then a flying Frenchman coming up the inside. Who would you say is to blame there?
4: Well, Spanners, I believe it's a racing
3: incident. Oh no! To be I'm no. joking.
4: About <laughs> so, so I'll, uh, to be, I'll, I'm going to put the blame on this one on um, Roman Grosjean. Actually, uh, as much as it hates me to, to pains me to say. Uh, Palmer was in a really tricky position. He did have the Sauber on the outside of him, but in the start of the race, you know, you've got a guy on the outside. He didn't, it wasn't as if the Sauber left him loads of room either. It really wasn't. Uh, and Julian's thinking, right, well, this is my corner. I'm taking it as I should. There's a Sauber on my left, so I've got that there. And then Grosjean, okay, you can understand why he's gone diving up the inside in the first lap, try to make up positions. Clearly, Sochi's not ideal for overtaking, but, in that kind of position, in the middle of the pack, you've got to kind of anticipate these things happening. And I think that Grosjean's just taken too big a risk. And it's obviously not paid off for him because there's been no space at the end.
1: Right. Well, I will stagger the wor- world by absolutely agreeing with you. It was totally 100% Grosjean's fault in this instant. And anyone who watched the onboard from Palmer cannot disagree with me at all. There was no way he was close enough to be expected to give any room at that particular apex. And Grosjean should very well have been aware of the Sauber outside of Palmer. And I think that's where it all went sideways, to be honest. It's a shame
3: because, uh, yeah, he was just taking his normal racing line, I think. And Grosjean actually had all four wheels on the inside. And he sort of rejoined the track to come and punt Palmer. So I'm not sure what Grosjean's grounds for thinking that he should have been left room when he wasn't on the track, Jake.
2: Yeah, I'm kind of going down the Grosjean to blame route for that exact reason. I mean, it's when the only incident really of note that's got people going, ooh, uh, of a motor race is between Roman Grosjean and Jolien Palmer. You kind of want to blame both of them, really. Palmer for not even being in the right part of the grid uh, as where he wants to be. I mean, if he was better, he'd probably be further up the road near where Nico Hulkenberg is. Uh, and the fact that he's in amongst uh, the Roman Grosjean, sauber cannon fodder anyway, it's not really particularly good for him. And everybody wants to scream, oh my goodness, it's Palmer's fault, because he's the only person who believes that nothing in Formula One is his fault. Uh, but Roman Grosjean on this occasion, just a bit of brain fade. We'll forgive him on this occasion, but next time we probably won't.
3: I do love Roman
1: Grosjean, yeah, and I think he was definitely to blame for this. Matt? All right, I've been working on it, and I think I've come up with a way this could be Palmer's fault. Yes, I mean, oh, Oh, really? really? Oh no! Absolutely, I'm going to completely change my mind and blame it on Palmer because, correct me if I'm wrong. (laughs) Q1 Quali who puts it in the wall and spoils Grosjean's lap? Oh, Oh. (laughs) that's a curveball right there. John was back there with him, so that makes it totally Palmer's fault. I change. It was revenge.
2: What is what you're saying? It's revenge, right? Come here.
1: Uh, It doesn't matter. He wouldn't have been there if he'd gotten out of Q1. That's all I'm saying.
2: Okay. No, I like it. That's a good argument right there.
1: I will say,
3: though, that I don't think that Palmer was being crowded as much as he made out. If you looked at Palmer's onboard, he could have lifted and twitched left. He could have done. I'm just saying he could have done. All right, Matt, let's get the next one. Um, This one, I don't know, a bit harder to suss out. Between Stroll and Hulkenberg, with Stroll spinning completely on his own, not being touched at all, whose
1: fault was it? Um, I'm going to have to go with Hulkenberg because to be honest, the situation reminded me of when I went skiing with my daughter and I skied up next to her to see how she was doing. And she promptly fell down because I got too close to her. And I think that's clearly what happened. (laughs) You have to say Hulkenberg is
3: to blame for getting that close to Stroll at all, really. You should just avoid that under all circumstances. Yeah, that's not fair. But we have to say, a uh, big nod of the head. And credit where credit's due, when we give people uh, a bit of uh, stick, I nearly said something rude then. When we give them a bit of stick, Bottas survived the safety car on this occasion. So that is worth a round of applause in itself.
2: Uh, somebody else better start it then because uh, I'm, I'm just bored by the whole Bottas thing. So someone needs to start I haven't even that. got onto it yet, Jake. We're I not, know. not but... even
3: begun. Isn't Bottas brilliant? Guys, if you want to support Mist Apex Podcast, there are many ways in which you could do that. We really appreciate you telling your friends on social media about us by retweeting us or um, going to com and sharing show links. That's always very, very handy. Or just telling the people at the water cooler in the office that you know this F1 podcast that you enjoy called Miss Apex.
1: You know what I love, Spanners? Cake. I love how carefully you read the notes that we put up for you. I'm sitting here looking at whose fault is this, and I look right above it, and do you know what I see? Do you know what I see? Regarding overtaking... Zero overtakes for the first time since Valencia, USGP, and Monaco. We made the chat room do all that work for nothing because the answer was already in the notes.
3: Or, Sorry, chat room. Or did we generate chat comments, which, uh, you know, it's all about marketing. Lights. It's all about marketing, Lights. Matt. <laughs> no, that's not true. I missed it. Matt is correct in the first place. I completely missed it. But anyway, continuing how you can support this Apex Podcast, tell your friends at The Water Cooler or If you would like to support us financially, you can go to patreon.com, search for Missed Apex Podcast, and uh, do a tip jar donation, a couple of dollars a month, helps keep the wheels on this wagon, and you have our undying gratitude. Many, many people have done that so far. We could always do with more. This show is literally brought to you by our patrons.
1: Yeah, and and along those lines, can I just encourage just a few more people, because like yesterday I woke up and there was only one thousand three hundred and seventy seven Slack notifications for me.
3: Uh, okay, okay. So so we put on a Slack group for our patrons and that thing has blown up. I honestly I said to people, Look, if this is rubbish, just tell me and I'll just bin it.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like being in the live chat room only twenty-four hours a day because we're <laughs> on many continents. It and is like that. Talking about anything, yeah. It never stops. If we get
3: some more Asians, it will literally never stop. <laughs>
1: well that's not
3: racist no because that's the part of the time zones they're in i'm not just uh, Oh okay or australians <gasps> even australians that would do okay i'm gonna have to note down check if i was racist 38 minutes <laughs> uh, okay let's carry on More then it's to danny rick i think it's required okay yeah we should become a danny rick focy podcast all right let's talk about hamilton's woes It is significant that Lewis Hamilton, yes, he finished fourth. Why are we talking about Lewis Hamilton more than we've talked about Bottas so far? Um, And we will get back to Bottas. But when the three times world champion is that far off, there's usually a reason. So you alluded to him having these cooling issues. Now, Bottas wasn't affected because he had clean air. But you think he was all gummed up because of that start from Alonso.
1: Yeah, I think, um, I, I remembered on Thursday, one of the, uh, one of the technical Twitter people I followed tweeted that Mercedes had brought a new side pod and had banked off some of the cooling because Sochi is a, is a, is a cooler track. And, uh, if they were running that, then that might well have been the issue. Although, uh, Fortis in the chat room says that he, uh, Hamilton had a cylinder cutting in it and in and out that, that he thought caused it, but that wouldn't have caused the problem for Botas. So I'm still down to they were just too on the edge with their cooling. I I do
4: find the cooling argument a bit of a difficult one, though, to be honest, Trumpets, because even if it was affecting him in the first stint, I think it was, we look at the second stint and I mean, I don't think a 15 second gap to Raikkonen is going to have any kind of impact on the cooling. And, uh, you know, uh, obviously, I think he has clearly had major issues, but he's just like, I'm just not sure that's that's all it was.
1: Well, in terms of his pace, I agree with you. I don't think the overheating affected his pace that much. But in in terms of what I was saying was the heating issues cleared about lap 15. Uh, His engineer radioed him that the car was coming back to them at that point. And I think what happened was because they sat and then they rolled around again, I think there was an excess of heat in the system. And there was so little cooling to spare, it literally took him about that many laps to get to bleed the excess heat off. It's just a thought, though. Uh, we know
3: that Mercedes run this close to the edge. The other times we've seen them struggle in this area is in Singapore, where we have seen them on the edge, and we've had their mechanics talking about how much drag it adds to have cooling. And so they, they calculate where they are. So, Jake, if, they, if the conditions aren't quite as cool as they predicted, they're in trouble. Or, as Matt says, they get the unexpected extra parade lap and more time on the grid.
2: Yeah, I think that's it as well. I think this is the problem that Mercedes have got themselves into. They're so used to winning and they're so used to being the fastest car at the front that they can't cope with being the second best team. They've got no contingency plan for it, as it were. So the fact that Ferrari have actually caught up so much from last year. I mean, last year, Ferrari were the third best team. For most of the season they were way off the pace way out of contention for victories from time to time so it's staggering to everybody just how quickly ferrari have got back on the horse and gone straight into the front end of the grid so i think mercedes have been taken aback a little bit and they thought in australia oh well Vettel was close to us that won't happen all season long and i think they're terrified that actually it's turning out it's probably going to be like this all year long i think it is going to be Vettel versus hamilton every single race and if they're not careful Vettel's going to win three or four more races before they can even come up with a solution to whatever problems they seem to be having dealing with that. So this is definitely a crisis point that they need to avoid uh, for Mercedes. I I don't think they were expecting Ferrari to be this strong everywhere, but it's proved, you know, we've gone to four completely different racetracks, four completely different conditions. I think Ferrari genuinely are fighters for this championship, both in the constructors and in the drivers now. So these guys have got to find a contingency plan or Ferrari will run away with it
3: jake's been talking for ages i've forgotten what i was gonna say so i'm just gonna run an ad this week's episode is brought to you by the band 12 gauge outrage they're a four-piece irish heavy metal band from county wexford their main influences include metallica megadeth iron maiden machine head and trivium they were formed in 2013 they've got an ep called about time and in 2016 they released their debut album deadly sins. Their next show is part of the Iron Maiden pre-show in Fibber McGee's in Dublin on May the 6th. Why don't you find them on Twitter at 12, that's 1-2, the numbers at 12gauge outrage and listen to them rocking out for the next 10 seconds or so. Thanks 12gauge outrage. Thank you indeed, 12-gauge outrage. Tell you who won't be outraged, that's the friends and loved ones of Valtteri Bottas, who has picked up his first F1 Grand Prix win after 80 or so GPs. I remember Valtteri Bottas on the second step uh, somewhere a few seasons ago when Williams were doing quite well, and they asked him how he was feeling about finishing second, and he just pointed so cutely, and cute is the right word for Valtteri Bottas, he pointed cutely and sweetly to the top set. And he just said, one more, just one more step. And now he's got it, Jake. And I just, I could not be happier for him.
2: Yeah, it's great to see him get his last Formula One victory. Oh, sorry, his <laughs> first uh, Formula One victory. I'm sorry. I mean, I love the fact that he's got the top step. I still haven't quite seen enough from Valteri yet to be convinced he's the real deal. This is Sochi, which is the current Valencia uh, Formula 1. He got a good start into the first corner and led the race. Way big way. I mean, he's been able to control a race where there's no overtaking. Brilliant. Uh, so basically, Bettel didn't get the opportunity to overtake him where he probably should have done two or three times over the course of the race. Mm-hmm. As Matts already mentioned, being caught up in traffic at the wrong moment cost him the victory. Uh, so I don't know if I've seen enough yet to be convinced that Bottas will win a second one. I still believe he is the illegitimate love child of the spirit of Nick Heidfeld and Heike Kovalainen, and I don't think he'll win again yet. Uh, he needs to enjoy this while he can. I'm not sure he's got what it takes to win a second one yet. I'd like to be proven wrong, though.
3: You might not be convinced he's going to win a second one, but you are surely convinced now that he did indeed win his first one.
2: Oh, well, yeah. We I mean, truly won a Grand Prix once, too, and that was all very exciting and wonderful. Pastor Maldonado won a Grand Prix, and that was all very exciting There's and that. wonderful. Yeah. See what I mean?
1: Yeah, I'm just going to completely disagree with you there, Jake, because... He will win another because as good as Lewis is, something will eventually go wrong and he'll be there to pick up the pieces. This is why he was hired. And what he proved today, beyond a shadow of a doubt, well, with almost a shadow of a doubt, that mistake on lap 39 uh, aside, is that. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST.
0: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com.
1: Put him in front in a fast car, he'll get the job done. And this is why they wanted him in the seat. I pick up the pieces when Lewis wasn't there, and it's gonna it's gonna be mostly vice versa. Yeah, Spanners.
3: Just from the chat room, really. James Funnel says unless he wins next year's Russian GP, because to be fair, he does look good around that particular track. Barha says you're being harsh. Bottas did a great job today. James Holly says he may not be the most interesting dude on the grid, but he's so damn likable. A Finnish Danny Rick, if you will. He is likeable and he's sweet and he's calm. I mean, he's not particularly a thrilling guy. You get the impression that he's going to go home and celebrate his win. He's going to rush upstairs, pick up his wife, throw her on the bed and then vacuum the spot where she was standing. But still, you have to feel happy for him, Jake. Why are you taking that away?
2: Well, I I can concede that, you know, today he did a good job with the right equipment to get the job done. And if he wins again, then maybe I'll relax my opinion Perhaps he won't be the offspring of Heidfeld and Kovalainen. Perhaps maybe he's more a sort of a Thierry Bootsen or a sort of a Ricardo Petrazi, can get the job done as a legitimate number two, perhaps a more reliable, safe pair of hands. Maybe. I don't know. I just haven't really seen anything spectacular from him since, I think, Euro Cup Formula Renault when he was battling with Danny Ricardo. actually. Uh, so I haven't really seen anything magic since then. I'd like to see something spectacular when he gets the chance.
4: Yeah, I think we've seen a lot from Bottas in junior formula. Like he has proven he can win championships. He's proven he can run at the top. He jumps into Williams and he impressed so many people in his first year. I think he's he's at a, the last few years have been a bit of a problem for Bottas because I think after 2014, a lot of people were raving about how he was going to go on to big things. He was going to go on to a big seat. And look at him now. He's now got the big seat. He's he's taken a few races, obviously getting up to speed. He's been up to speed, in my opinion, in the races we've had so far. He's he's up against Lewis Hamilton, a multiple world champion. Many people argue over one lap is the fastest guy on the grid.
1: He's uh,
4: he's won this race at Sochi. Obviously, it wasn't you know there wasn't much overtaking, but that's not Valtteri's fault. Um, I think yeah, he made one lock-up in the race, which could have been an issue, but he managed to hold it together. I, I really think Valtteri. Before we can make any long, t- have I lost everyone? Top
3: team like Mercedes because he did the job. Sorry, John. Sorry, no, I'm still doing your Spanish. Yeah, that's fine. No, we're all good. Um, At my end, it cut off, so just continue your point.
4: Yeah, so the, the, I found it very interesting. In the you know, Bottas has just won his first Grand Prix, which is usually when the drivers are absolutely buzzing, most excited. And Vettel was struggling to make any kind of small talk with him. It was <laughs> it was hilarious.
3: So maybe he just doesn't really know him that well. I suppose. Um, I think
4: so. Yeah, it was just like that kind of relationship where you know someone enough to stop and speak to them, but not enough to know what to say. It was it was quite
3: cute. I've got that guy at work. I've got a guy called Sam. And I specifically told him, we went through the situation. I said, I know you well enough to say hello at the coffee area and to nod at you in the corridor. And that's about it. Thanks, Sam. I don't know if Sam likes me anymore.
1: Where should we go, Matt? Oh, I don't know. What were we talking about? Bottas. Botas. And Jake
3: was being super harsh about Botas, to be honest. I think I think with good reason. I think you're a big old party pooper. So what if he's had his day today? Let him absolutely enjoy it. And yes, I think it would be suspicious to suggest that I mean, I disagree with John. I think he's been at sea for the last three races. To say that all of a sudden he's clicked his fingers and done well. And someone in the chat room is saying he did a perfect race today. And I'll disagree with that as well, because I think he held off the pressure. He did a great race. He held off Sebastian Vettel in a competent Ferrari at the stint of the race where they had better performance on the tyres than he did. But did he have a perfect race? No. I mean, he flat-spotted his tyres in the lead With laps to go of winning his first Grand Prix, you could say that was choking under pressure a little bit, but he held it together. And you could tell he was under massive pressure from the radio calls. Given all that, he's still done fantastically well to bring it home. You can only play the circumstances in front of you, Matt.
1: It's absolutely true. And I just want to make a point about that mistake on lap 39. Anybody remember Canada a couple of years ago with Button chasing Vettel down and Vettel completely losing it in the mixed conditions? While he was in the lead, it happens to everybody. Bottas is very fortunate he kept it in between the white lines and didn't lose the race. Because now having won one, he knows he can do it again. And that's very important for a driver.
2: I'm not sure. I mean, we've, we've seen that from a couple of drivers in the last sort of 10 years where they've got this opportunity to win. They've had a, had a gift wrapped for them on a plate. Uh, I don't know. Maybe Bottas can end up actually being an, a bit like Felipe Massa. In that he's been able to show, you know, exactly what he's capable of. He's fulfilled that potential, but I, I still can't really see him being world championship-winning material. I still don't think he's going to be that good. But at the end of the day, Mercedes wanted, a, you know, a second wheel for their bicycle for the rest of this season to be reliable to bang in the points. And other than the brain fade in China, he has brought it home at the points every single time. You know, he has given Mercedes what they need in terms of, you know, points in the Constructors' Championship. It will be a close fight between them and Ferrari this year for the title. And ultimately, that's what they needed from Valtteri.
3: And if Hamilton beats Sebastian Vettel by two points to the World Championship, then I guess he owes Valtteri Bottas a pint for this Russian adventure.
2: Absolutely.
1: And speaking of points, there's exactly one in the World Constructors' Championship... (laughs) I hadn't noticed that. <laughs>
2: but, see, that's that's the thing. I was really scared going into this year that if Ferrari had a competitive car, they really shouldn't have kept Kimi Raikkonen. I'm really, really delighted that from the first four races, I'm being proven wrong. Because Kimi has actually been stronger in the start of this year than I've seen him in the last five. Get uh, because, out. What are you no, on? No, 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 genuinely. Because How you've do got you own a podcast network? Of, you've got to look at it in terms of context, in terms of pace. Kimi has actually been fairly close throughout the practice sessions to Vettel a lot of the time. And in terms of setup, they're actually working with each other quite well. Here in Russia, it was a really good example. You know, Kimi was right with Vettel in terms of raw pace for most of it. The fact that Bottas beat into the corner caught Kimi out a little bit and that ruined his strategy. If they'd have got that clean start from the front row of the grid, that would have been a Ferrari one too. I'm sorry, there's no second guessing that. Kimi seems to have got himself to a place where I think he can genuinely be Constructors' Championship material. Not Drivers' Championship material, but Constructors' Championship material. He's a better number two than he's been for a while.
3: In 25 years' time, when we're having a pint in a beer garden in the future in our little hovercraft space pub, I will put my arm round your boy and I will say, did you know your dad once said, that Kimi Raikkonen was doing just as well as Sebastian Vettel at the start I of 2017. I can't believe I'm
2: saying it as well. I know. I can't believe I'm saying it as well. But then Kimi Raikkonen is still the man who was lucky to win the 2007 Formula One World Championship for my money. I'm sorry. He was. If uh, McLaren were sensible in China 2007 and pitted him a lap early, Hamilton would be... a th- Four times World Champion by now. Sorry, that's just my opinion. All Kimmy lovers and Hammy haters, you're going to hate me. Tough. It's just a fact. Deal with it.
3: To be fair, it's only because the shredder in the McLaren office didn't work quite quickly enough uh, to get them (laughs) over the line. So, look.
2: And a brief brief one there. Why did Ferrari get no penalty for that, eh? McLaren did. Why did Ferrari not get a penalty there? Eh, where's the justice? Sorry, that's a, a different conversation for another time. But yeah, where is the justice?
3: Good idea. Let's have a different conversation. This is Downforce Radio. Well, it's not, but Mist Apex is on Downforce Radio, something we're very, very grateful to Jake Sanson for, to letting Mist Apex and our stable mates come and play, uh, motorsport podcasting on your network. We do some Formula E. We do some lean angle motorcycling. What's going on in the world of Downforce Radio, Jake?
2: Well, we've just come back from uh, Milton Keynes, uh, Daytona Motorsport, where we have 24 hours. Uh, that is going up online, with some of the highlights from the race. So for those who are interested in uh, getting into motor racing and actually going and doing it, uh, events like Daytona 24 Hours at Milton Keynes actually give, People who are not racing drivers a chance to be racing drivers and go up against professional racing drivers who don't have the budget to be, you know, world class racing drivers. Uh, so it's a great event. Uh, we've been doing a few of those bits and pieces recently. Uh, next week, we're going to Cadwell Park uh, to go and look at some of the stuff going on in the BRCC. Uh, we'll be live in two weeks time at another karting championship over at Glanigloss Park in Wales. And three weeks after that, we'll be doing some filming from the Po Grand Prix Formula Three which is where some of the Formula 1 wow. stars of the future are going to be. So quite a lot of stuff going on, which is good.
3: See, I, I'm i only really involved in the podcasting side of Downforce Radio. Sometimes it's easy to forget that you cover a lot of events live, one of which I've done, actually, which was Castle Coombe on their finals day, which is a lot of fun. But yeah, Downforce Radio is there with a the mic in hand, doing real commentary, real production at Trackside.
2: Yeah, we are. We're trying to extend into forms of motor racing that has never really had that kind of coverage before. Uh, so we're trying to expand a little bit for 2018, 2019. We've got a long game plan coming in this year. We're going to focus more on the podcast side of things, live streaming, and uh, magazine shows. Our pitboard show every Friday is doing a really good roaring trade at the moment. All the stuff that we don't have time for on Miss Apex, we usually find time to fit into pitboard, including things like putting you know weird and wonderful things into the uh, mystical and imaginary. Uh, motorsport museum of mystery which is really doing a roaring trade we put all sorts of cool things into there i urge you go onto the website danfossradio.com forward slash shows forward slash pitboard listen back to a couple of episodes there's been some really cool things that we talk about and uh, this kind of stuff that wouldn't be appropriate on missed apex is usually what kind of happens uh, on Pitboard anyway. (laughs) So it's definitely worth giving a check out.
3: Apart from the NSFW content, uh, Jake, what I've found with Pitboard is it is uh, a motorsport nerd show. And I mean that in the nicest possible sense.
2: Oh, totally. It is where the uh, nerds of motor racing just uh, have an opportunity to nerd off. We've had some great... Uh, comments from people who have literally got, you know, so much more knowledge even than, you know, my guests and panelists than I do. We regularly bring racing drivers who know what they're talking about into the show. We've had some great guests on there in the past. People like Anthony Reid from the Touring Cars. We've had Peter Dunbrecht telling us what really happened in the Le Mans 24-Hours Flip in the Mercedes. Uh, We've even had Taki Inouye on the show before telling us what really happened when he got crashed into by a course car in Monaco and when he got hit by a course car in Hungary. We do all sorts of things on Pitboard that you'd never do on any other show. It's a great laugh.
3: It really is. I get on there when I can, when I'm allowed, when the other half thinks I've worked hard enough through the week to deserve a couple of hours on Pitboard on Downforce, mm-hmm. the nation's motorsport station. All right, so let's look long-term. Let's bring this down a little bit. And let's think forward to the future. Who has the better car for the season now? Mercedes, Ferrari, or lest we forget our friends at Red Bull. Who's in the best shape to bring it home this year? And by the way, that's Matt in the background. Bringing some sexy tunes in to Miss Apex Podcast, as requested in the chat room, Matt. He's lost for words. I'm just listening, man. (laughs) (laughs) Who's got the best race car? Because I'm convinced, and I've been arguing with people left, right, and center, Matt. I've been convinced Mercedes are the faster car out the block. They've had all the pace. They've had all the potential. But the team and the drivers are not necessarily bringing it home. In my opinion, Ferrari are out driving that car and doing great at the moment.
1: Nope, and I feel bad because the chat room has wanted to get in on some Kimmy chat, but we'll have to save it for later. I'm going to tell you right now, Ferrari's got the best car, period. End of story. Not necessarily the fastest car, let's be very clear with our language here, but it does have the best car, and if you're going to ask me why, well, there's the oil thing, and (laughs) lest we forget, there's also the suspension engine thing, which, oh no, it didn't bother us at all, said Mercedes, convincing absolutely no one as we watched this season unfold. And in fact, I think Red Bull is very instructive in this case, because today Verstappen said for the first time, the car was more drivable, more predictable. But do you remember what they were saying at the last couple of races? It was very unpredictable and that they had a very narrow setup window. And I think this is what Mercedes is trying to sort out right now and they seem to be just tailing a little bit behind probably because they're also you know much more in competition with ferrari whereas red bull is just well hopefully williams won't catch us oh that's right stroll drives for them not a problem
3: ouch see you're very very black and white with this but you're saying okay it's not just about out-and-out out speed, which I think we we'll probably all agree Mercedes does have nine tracks out of ten for qualifying. But honestly, I think the Mercedes pace is being masked by, let's look at Australia, bad strategy. China, bad strategy. Uh Sorry, Bahrain, bad strategy. Uh, and here it was masked a little bit in qualifying by the fact that both drivers seem to drop the ball a little bit. Jake, do, do you have any sympathy for my view that Mercedes is, is still the faster race car, But Ferrari has brought the better team package overall, including strategy and at the moment, including drivers.
2: I think that's a fair assessment of it. Ferrari have the better overall package because they have a reasonably quick car, a reasonably quick engine and two reasonably quick drivers. What they don't have is arrogance at the moment they know they've come from a position of trying to get themselves back into contention so they're coming at this with a what the hell let's just give it everything and see what happens attitude that's very much Vettel's character anyway so they've kind of adopted the Vettel modus operandi of do you know what we might not win this we might let's just give it a go and push it and I think that's what Ferrari's needed ever since Schumacher left really they've needed that kind of do you know what yes we're Ferrari yes we've got this reputation but do you know what we are second grade at the moment, so let's just go into it with an open mind and give it hell. And as a result of that, it's working. You know, it's working. They're not coming from a, a position of expecting to win; they have to work for it. So I do think Ferrari is the better package overall.
4: I I actually have a lot of sympathy for Spanners in his opinion because I I genuinely get where he's coming from. Like Mercedes, for me, obviously, yeah, I think we can all agree that they have just the edge over one lap. But I think in the I think the race car is good too, and I think. Ferrari are the ones who are doing the better job with what they've got just now. I don't think there's any arguing with that. No, I know it's no. kind of what I'm basically doing is turning up a lot of things we've just said. Um, and I and I know it's very close. Like it is very, very close. But I just, I, I don't see Bottas doing the job he did today in a Ferrari. I, I'm not sure you'd see it in a Ferrari. That's I just don't think point. you would. I think, I, I think like, you know, Merck had been, the only time Merck weren't pole position, for example, on a Saturday, and I know this is just qualifying, was at Sochi and Hamilton had a problem. Bottas was still only a tenth off, and he's been kind of behind Vettel in, I believe it might have been every single no, every single qualifying other than Bahrain. Obviously, he was on pole there. Um, yeah. and I think that in the race, it's you know, it's it's very, very close. But Merck have the advantage on Saturday, which puts them in the driving seat on the race at the start of the races. There's a bit of a difficulty in overtaking, and I do think that the Mercks are in a better position, but they are mucking it up because Ferrari and Vettel is getting everything out of that car and everything out of the package and strategy.
3: So a uh, big shout out to BBC's Mark Gallagher who said uh, interesting stat congratulations to Kimi Raikkonen he said on Twitter because this is the first time he's finished within 10 seconds of Vettel all season or or <laughs> some such thing damning Kimi with faint praise which is what people are generally doing when it comes to Kimi Raikkonen's performance uh, but Matt on the Gas made a great point in the chat room who was saying okay it's a bit silly to talk about the relative performance of cars when they're developing so much in season. Yes, well, we know that. We're assessing what we've seen so far in our head, but we can wildly speculate uh, about the development that's coming,
1: and I would invite you to do so now. Okay. I think Red Bull will get closer, but not close enough. So on the odd race, you will see them compete. I think Ferrari remains the car to be beat over the whole course of the season. I, I think that the loss of the suspension and the loss of the oil burning, which of course it's not been proven that they've been doing, it, it just, uh, the Ferrari looks more drivable in more conditions. And over the course of a whole season, all other things being equal, that should lead them to better results.
2: I'm loving Blackout19's comment on this front. He's just made a brilliant observation uh, in the chat. He just written Ferrari's letter to the FIA regarding suspension is paying dividends. That first-class stamp was well worth the money. (laughs) Too right, mate. I absolutely agree wholeheartedly.
3: Okay, I'm a bit more optimistic about Red Bull. I will put a wild prediction out there. And unlike some people who like to put wild predictions out in the style of fairground psychics and hope that no one remembers when they were wrong but can shout loudly about it when they were correct, you can hold me to this. You can hold me to this. By the end of the season... Mercedes will clearly be the fastest race car, will be way ahead in the Constructors' Championship, and whether or not on points, but certainly on performance, Red Bull will be the number two team. I just don't think we've seen enough from Ferrari over the past two decades to say to me, yes, they are a team that is going to develop well over the course of the season. Who are the teams that develop well? Red Bull, Mercedes. We've not seen it from Ferrari. What makes people think that Ferrari is suddenly going to be in it on that development race, which is crucial this year in 2017?
4: Well, I mean, if I can jump in there, I think Ferrari, I do think Ferrari will be able to, to hold it to Mar- I don't know if they will be as good as Merck. I do think that that Mercedes have got the upper hand on that side of things. But we've seen Ferrari, we have seen Ferrari develop, in my opinion, quite strongly. And, um, you know, the Luca in 9, for example, by the, the start of the season, they were nowhere. And halfway through towards the end, they were contending for podiums, obviously, uh, f- apart from Luca Pator, you could say. And that was Kimi Raikkonen driving. Um, and then I think also, I'm, t- I'm thinking of other years. I mean, 2012, the car was awful at the start of the season. And, I mean, I, I know the car wasn't fantastic by the end, but Alonso was still right there in the championship. Uh, hang on a minute. Weren't they leading by
3: 30 points in the summer?
4: Well, yes, but they had an awful car at the start of the season, absolutely awful. And Alonso was dragging everything out of that car. And I just don't. I I think they actually got more competitive um, throughout. But Vettel managed to get it all together. Um, and I'd also argue that during the twenty fifteen season, they maintained uh, their gap to Mercedes. I think they won one race early on in the season, Malaysia, and everyone was thinking, "Oh, they're as quick." And then they dropped off. But I don't think they were ever as quick. I just think they got it right in Malaysia. They were able to then be right up there in Singapore, right there in Hungary. Uh, I, you know, I don't think I don't think they're better than Mercedes in any way at developing or anything like that. But I do, I don't see Red Bull, especially not Red Bull, being able to close that bigger gap um, in such a short space of time. Oh. I do think they'll be closer, but I'm not seeing that happening.
3: All right, John. Let's see how making articulate points that make a fool of me bode for your future involvement in Miss Apex. We didn't bring you on here for intelligent points. I thought you were a fawning idiot. I Thought you were just going to uh, agree with everything I said, John. I, I,
4: I, I, try and balance it. I try and balance it. I thought you brought me on here because of my nationality, to be honest. He's
2: way too nice to take offence at these things, isn't he? This is the problem. <laughs> way too polite and humble.
3: You cannot rile him. Let's get on to any other business. Some other things happened in the race. Not as many as normal. Let's briefly talk about Palmer's career. John, what do you think is the future for Palmer? Do you think he'll survive the season?
4: I think he'll survive till the end of the season and I don't think he'll I don't think we'll see him in Formula 1 after the season I think he is a decent driver but there are many many decent drivers that don't make it through he'd had a great season in GP2 after many many years of not so great seasons he's come into Formula 1 he's been he's shown flashes of pace but when I say flashes this is in terms of pace not being better than a teammate but being almost as quick as or just as quick as a teammate. And I think he's made a lot of mistakes. The thing I hate the most about his, what we've seen from him so far, and I use the word hate, is his attitude towards the media and things like that. I don't think, I don't think his attitude towards the team is very healthy. I don't like the way he yep. speaks in interviews. I don't like the way he blames everything on other people. I just don't... I, I, for me, it doesn't work. It's not working. And um, obviously, it's a shame because it means that instance like today, everyone straight away jumps on the whole let's blame Palmer wagon. But I genuinely think he's made enough mistakes and he's got that kind of attitude that justifies this kind of um, animosity towards him.
2: I'd say that uh, you can sum up Julian Palmer's career in one word. Uh, it starts with an O. Uh, it finishes in an R. Uh, and it rhymes with Dover. Uh, I, I think it's uh, it's basically he's he's digging his own grave every time he comes to a racetrack because he's dropping the ball and he's whinging and whining and not in the Nigel Mansell sense of the word either. So it, it's, it's just completely unlikable as a Formula One driver and not the greatest role model for Great Britain. I thought that when Paul De was racing, he was complaining a lot. Yes. But Jolian Palmer is taking it to a completely different extreme. I mean, he's making Paul the Rester look like a saint. so Which he uh, was. Which he was, absolutely. But <laughs> uh,
3: Nationalism it, is strong in this one.
2: <laughs> Come on, though. It's Come
4: awesome on, though. Come on. I mean, I take, you can bash me, but you can't bash Paul.
2: No, you can't bash Paul. But yeah, I, I want to believe in the Jolian Palmer bandwagon, but it's got three wheels and it's being dragged around by a broken-limbed horse. It's just not going anywhere.
1: So you're saying if he had a PR consultant, he'd be doing better? Is that what I'm getting? I mean, let's face That's it.
2: Right. I don't think if he had a PR consultant, he'd do any better. I think he'd whinge and whine to the PR consultant, personally.
1: Uh, well, as long as he didn't whinge and whine to the cameras and on the radio, I mean, Grosjean seems yep. to get away with plenty of drivers whinge and <laughs> whine. And let's face it. I'll be honest. I thought he was done like a dinner last year. And miraculously late season here. He comes, buries Magnuson, and sticks around. Yeah, and no, what what, what we're missing, Jake... Oh, sorry, go sorry. You That's... know what
2: I think it is with Palmer? I think it's to do with the end of last season where he was really showing form, and then it took them ages to sign him up for this year. So I think he kind of lost his nerve. He lost his bottle. So he feels like he's fighting for his career, and it's going to his head a little bit. It's like, come on, if I'm going to prove I'm a good driver, you need to get on your uh high horse and give me a car that proves it i expect that from you you're my team you need to give me the equipment to get this job done i've done what i've came here to do because you proved i showed you i was good enough you gave me another chance now you need to give me the equipment to develop that's not how formula one works you, you have to play both you have to play on the track you have to play off the track it's just such a disappointment watching him have this tantrum in the public eye
3: wow that point went on for far too long did I say that out loud? Yes, I did. Sorry. Anyway, the, the thing is, though, you're almost right. But what we're forgetting is that there is a customer-client relationship going on between Camp Palmer and Renault. He is paying for that seat. He paid for last season's seat. So he feels somewhat entitled when things aren't going wrong. Uh, sorry, when things are going wrong to complain like we would to someone we were getting a service out of. And certainly had I paid $18, 18 million, $8 million for a race seat... I would expect that to work every time. The problem comes when it's his fault, and so he bins it into the barrier after they've done an engine change in record time to get him out for qualifying, then he bins it into the barrier. He perhaps, and the impression I'm getting, and I might be wrong, perhaps doesn't feel like, oh no, the lads have been up fixing my car. He feels like they provided that service, which is a contract, an £8 million contract, to have a race car available when he needs it. And I think that's kind of what John is alluding to with the way he talks to the team. If he was out and out a paid driver in the employment of the team, it, it might come across differently. So I think that is a lot of where that comes from. So maybe what Matt is saying is very relevant because there's a mismatch between what Julian Palmer expects and what we expect to hear from a member of a team. But he's seeing it as, I am paying to be here. I jolly well better get mm. the service I want
4: i a Very member of a manufacturer Formula One team. I should add, you know, there's not many.
3: This is Formula One,
4: and there is only so many manufacturers. And this is like the top level of role model, you know. No matter if I know you're paying drivers, yeah, absolutely, but you know, it's it's not enough. It's not enough for me. he I mean, that's that's his problem, and I mean, he does continues to act like that. So that's fine if he wants to do that. That's absolutely no problem. But he then couldn't have a problem with with people not warming to him.
2: You made a great point, John, because at the end of the day. Julian Palmer is one of the two biggest names in Formula One for the Renault brand right now. He needs to start acting like an ambassador for the Renault brand, and he isn't.
1: Uh, Matt, any other business? Um, well, we're going to talk about the podium in a minute, correct? Yes. We already talked about Massa. Hey, you know what? You know who finished his very first race only a month or so after he started his first race? <laughs> Stroll. Yes. <'cause> big. <laughs> the youngster. He finally made it across the line and almost in the points too.
2: Which is more than Fernando Alonso's done this season. Ouch.
3: Wait a minute, is that true? Alonso's not finished yet. No, he hasn't. Well he's no, been he, hasn't. he was classified in the last race, but he didn't he didn't actually finish he didn't the race didn't start this wow. one, so that kind of counteracts the classification.
4: Fernando
2: league. Alonso is having the Jody Scheckter nineteen eighty season in front of our very eyes. This is hilarious, and so much comedy is coming from it.
1: Yeah, I think um, also Carlos Sainz managed to finish in the points, which good for him and well ahead of his uh, torpedo-y comrade. Uh, Special mention, by the way, goes to, do you know what? I will
3: save that for thing of the weekend. Uh, Let's talk about the Force India's briefly sixth and seventh. They look real.
1: They do look real. And again, you want to tell everybody, John, go ahead.
4: Well, no, I'll let you because you've obviously got something lined up there.
1: Uh, No, I was just going to say, and for the first time ever, Ocom finishes someplace other than 10th place.
4: I, I was actually, I mean that that does leave me on. I was going to talk about Ocon because you know Perez for me, uh, Jake probably attended this I, I've always said over the last few years he is for me the most underrated driver in Formula 1 and yes I know he struggled in 2013 the McLaren and everyone can say that but I genuinely always thought Perez has been a top driver he's not a top, top, top driver but he is a very good driver yes. and I think this year he's having he's, he's just getting better and better as well through time he's getting podiums in a car that shouldn't be there, he's taking advantage when the opportunity arises and this year he's been phenomenal, he's had a nine I think two sevenths and a sixth and then Ocon as well he's come in as a almost rookie Uh, he's he's proven what he can do in the past he's got a great attitude um, very likable guy and he's doing the job on track he's had three tenth positions after a season of nine second places in a row in GP3 so he proves his consistency there he's learning a new team learning a new car he's now finished seventh in Russia backing up Perez beautifully I mean what a lineup for Cindy have and what a season they're having.
2: Yeah, Force India have a car that should not be fourth in the Constructors' Championship. I think they have admitted that this car is not good enough to be fourth in the Constructors' Championship. But yet, this independent little minnow based across the road from Silverstone, are still being able to find all of the tools to get the job done, to bring the cars home. They are so humble. They are so conservative and they are so calculated. They're just bringing these cars home in the points every single time. That's the team you want to drive for if you're a rookie, Force India, because you learn how to handle being a Formula One driver. They are amazing. I'm so glad, so glad I picked Force India for Fantasy GP because they're paying me back in spades. I love it.
3: Awesome. Let's move on to the podium. Okay, it's time for the awards. But before we quite go there, Matt, I think we have to plug a young lady who sports us very well in a very epic thing that she is taking on.
1: Yes, indeed. And that would be Miss Hannah Hassel from the chat room herself and Patreon of the show has embarked upon a charity 10K race for life. 10K is far. It's far and sounds dangerous and possibly life-threatening. It's for cancer research, so it's like one of those things that we should probably all support. And you can reach her on the Twitters, at Hassle, H-A-S-S-A-L-L-26. So go and support her as she tries to make life better for everybody else. And also give
3: her lots of running tips, like run, Hannah, run. You like can... Go fast and don't stop.
2: Water, water, drink water.
3: You can't, if you drink too much water, you can die.
2: Okay, uh, wear shoes. Is that a good one? Zola Bud. Okay. What else you got? Uh, Socks. Never underestimate the power of socks. Open your eyes. Look in the right direction. Blind people run fast. I'm flatlining here. Come on, I'm flatlining. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome, though. Well done, Hannah. Good job.
3: Follow the podcast at Missed Apex F1. Follow me at Spanners Ready. I can sometimes articulate better on Twitter than I can through a microphone, and it boosts my ego. And who doesn't want to do that? Matthew can be found at MattPT55. 55 55 refers to the size of his cycling something? Chain ring.
1: Interesting, if true. Where can we buy your wife's books, Matt? You can buy them on Amazon. You can buy them at her website, Amanda Weaver Writes. Or you could just go Hit the link on MissedApexPodcast.com.
3: Yes, I definitely didn't remove that and forget to tell you. Make sure you follow us on YouTube by following at SpannersReady. Subscribe to that and you will get notifications when we go live. Go to Facebook and join our group by searching Missed Apex podcast and in there we discuss the news throughout the week that's where i like to hang out sometimes during race reviews our race review threads are a lot of fun on there okay panel let's find out who was your thing of the weekend let's go to jake Sanson first
2: uh, Fernando Alonso, just because it's hilarious every single time <laughs> and it just keeps getting funnier. Uh, I genuinely feel, and this is a controversial comment, but he'll go to the Indianapolis 500. He'll love it. Jensen Button will replace him for Monaco and he'll pick up the phone at the end of the weekend and go, Jensen, have my seat. I ain't coming back. I, I can see it happening. I genuinely can see it happening. So, yeah, Alonso, DNSing for the first time since Indianapolis 2005. That is my thing of the race.
3: John Monroe, do you have a thing of the weekend? My my thing of the weekend is a thing that wasn't really a thing,
4: and I need to give it to him because he didn't win Drive of the Day, and it's Max Verstappen. For managing to be Max Verstappen, yet still not get a single second of airtime during the entire race for driving such an innocuous drive to fifth position. With his teammate gone, with no one near his pace, Max Verstappen managed to avoid an entire TV broadcast, and he didn't win <laughs> Drive of the Day, so I'm going to give him a moment of the whatever you want to call it. He
1: didn't? And don't forget he, that he used tape and a paper clip to keep his water pump from leaking in order to get his car to start.
3: That's incredible. Good now we're with you, Matt. What is your thing of the weekend?
1: Curses. I've drawn the attention upon myself. You know, it's funny. I've got a whole sheet here, and there's nothing written next to thing. But I, I, I'm going to go with the following, which is Eddie Jordan trolling yes. Toto Wolf. Oh no! Really? That was like hysterically funny to me to watch because when was the last time you can remember seeing Toto Wolf looking awkward on camera, and yet he <laughs> looks, he did not look happy. Eddie
2: Jordan does not need the oxygen of publicity. Do you know, I was sitting watching the podium (laughs) with a few friends and saying, right, it's got to be somebody English commentator style, so it must be either Brundle or DC, uh, or if we're really unlucky, it's going to be Eddie Jordan. And out walks Eddie Jordan. It's like, oh, for goodness sake,
3: really? Eddie Jordan has embarrassing drunk uncle who wasn't asked to speak at the wedding but spoke anyway, written all over him.
1: Yeah. And to be fair... There were not one, but two fins on the podium. I really feel like they had no choice. <laughs> he, he actually
4: managed, he actually managed as well to shout, call the race not only exciting once, but he called it exciting like three times. Yeah. And he shouted it. And it was just everyone's watching it going, Well, no, <laughs> I mean, it was it was an interesting order, but it wasn't an exciting race. You know, it was just, it, it, was like it, he was trying to be on Top Gear again.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, did you actually watch the race, Eddie? And also, like, if you're going to troll Toto, it was very funny the first time. The second time you're like, ha, yeah, a sort of after laugh. And then the third time it was like, yeah, no. Why? Why are you doing this?
4: I mean, he's trying to impress Putin. But I mean, Putin, as you could see from the interview, couldn't even speak very good English so you probably would have got away with it
2: but we know now of course that Eddie Jordan is going to be wheeled out for the Monaco Grand Prix uh, podium for the Singapore Grand Prix podium and for the Baku Grand Prix podium because when the races are rubbish they obviously need a guy to say exciting three times to make it look like it was
3: well, I won't be here for the Monaco GP. I think the Monaco GP race review will be Chris Stevens hosting this Apex podcast. Hopefully, with Jake and Matt, and I will be just chilling out because Monaco's pointless unless it rains, in which case I might call in. Okay. Oh, I haven't done my thing of the weekend. You mean buggers, you? I can't believe no. none, none of you running the show. None of you have said Bottas, who just won his first ever Grand Prix and bossed the race from lights to flag, and what? You can snore oh, all you want, but he <laughs> took a fantastic Lights to Flag victory, not from pole position, from third. He had an epic start. He kept up his pace all through the first stint when he had an advantage. He managed the gap when he didn't, and he held off just about yeah. all the way to the end. How can there be any other choice oh, yeah. than They're Valtteri gonna Bottas? In. And I'm going to sing. was always another choice when Max Verstappen's on the good. And exactly. I'm going to sing now for you the Finnish national anthem. We like ice. We're very excited. That's all I can remember of it at this point. Who missed the apex for you, Jake Sanson? Uh,
2: for me, uh, Roman Grosjean actually missed the apex for me, quite literally. Yes, he did. Uh, and as a result of that, as a result of that, yeah, it, the uh, the logical choice is Roman Grosjean. Although Julian Palmer for getting himself into that scrape in the first place, also. So it's both of them.
1: You can't have Palmer, too, if you take Grosjean, because my answer was Palmer, of course, because Grosjean was already there.
2: Okay, well, you have Palmer, I'll have Grosjean, and that's a fair balance.
4: Done. Uh, I'd say you cannot deny that the Sober definitely missed the apex.
3: That's true. In fact, my award is also to Sauber for agreeing to take on the Honda engine for 2018. Sauber <laughs> and Honda in 2018. How slow is that going to be? It's going to be GP3 engine.
2: Well, that's going to give Lando Norris employment in Formula One next year, of course, because McLaren will find a way to put him in that seat when he wins Formula Three this year. So I'm not too bothered because then they will get Julian Palmer out of Formula One. They'll need another Brit in there and Lando Norris will take that chance. Well, I am bothered.
3: I am bothered because Lando Norris in a Sauber Ferrari would be better than Lando Norris in a Sauber Honda in yet another experimental, it'll be all right in just a minute, we promise, season.
2: But he's McLaren junior, so they'll find a way to make that deal happen.
3: I like Lando Norris. Follow him on Twitter. I like the way... I hope he keeps that up. He is a funny young man.
2: He's great. I'm looking forward to commentating on him next month for TV at the Po Grand Prix. I think he'll win there as well. That's going to be an amazing opportunity for him to show the whole world what he can do.
3: John, who missed the apex
4: this weekend? Um, I w- well, I was going to say Julian Palmer. lolly off Palmer, because the only apex he hit was when he got <laughs> crashed into. But, I mean, if you're looking at elsewhere, at Hamilton.
3: Hamilton, missed Yes. The no, me. that's fair. That is fair. It was an off weekend and and people need to stop getting excited. Everyone has an off weekend. It's hardly surprising. He's a remarkably consistent bloke, to be fair. He had an off weekend. I don't think we can panic too much.
4: Yeah, he's allowed. He's allowed. And I think you're quite right as well to give Bottas a good shout because, yeah, he did. He, he destroyed the race. It was really good and uh, a worthy winner.
3: All right. I like this one. The Daddy I Want a Pony Award goes to people who display acts of wild petulance. Matt, do we have a pony award this week? I don't I think people were kind of generally okay. Maybe Vettel for yelling at Massa
1: for not disappearing in a straight line? No, I have one and it was my favorite. Although it technically doesn't really reach the level of poniness that I normally enjoy. At the race start is is Alonso's race engineer was trying to coax him through trying a procedure yet again he replied i have done this three times come and do it yourself oh i missed that <laughs> genius <laughs> that's my winner that's
3: fantastic unless anyone else has got a uh pony award let's go I on do. oh you do go on then
2: i do yeah uh lewis hamilton who could have congratulated Valtteri Bottas at the end of the race, but no, I don't really know what's happening with the car. Oh, I just think we didn't really have all the pay. No, grow up, Lewis. On, uh, excuse me,
3: in the pen, the first thing he did instead of answering the question was congratulate Valtteri Bottas. John, are you about to agree with me?
4: Yeah, I was just going to agree with Jake about Lewis Hamilton. I think that the best part for me was when he said, when he came out of the pits and said, why am I I now 10 seconds behind Kimi Raikkonen? And you're going, well, Lewis, how are the team supposed to tell you why you're 10 seconds behind
1: Kimi Raikkonen? I'm sorry, that's still better than Raikkonen coming out of the pits and going, why is Botas (laughs) ahead of me? (laughs) 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 Yeah,
4: that was good.
3: a damning indictment on uh, Bottas's early season form, perhaps. Okay, Matt, I believe this week you do have a candidate for. Comment of the week. And I know he wins it an awful lot, and it's not because of a lack of comments in the chat room, it's just because he is a very hilarious man within this YouTube space.
1: Yes, and I'm afraid, uh, based on my entirely inadequate perusal of the chat room, that Blackout 19 is yet again our winner for the following comment. All it took today was for Botas to throw a thermal blanket into Lewis' side pod just before the race, and he was good to go. <laughs> oh, comment of the week.
3: Thank you again to the chat room who have joined us through this episode of Missed Apex Podcast. Race reviews are now generally getting somewhere in the region of 800 comments. If you'd have told me that a year and a half ago, I'd have bitten your hand off and taken it. It just shows what a good time the YouTube live stream has been and you make this a good time for me, Matt, Jake, John all the rest of the guys who contribute to Missed Apex podcast I hope you appreciate the rotating panel of subject matter experts I am able to wheel out so you're not just listening to my mad wafflings please join us next week for some F1 news, until then please remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars and glory lasts forever, this was Mist Apex just a quick word from me spanners ready because matt forgot to plug that he is at the bitter end this friday in new york city for those of you who listen from that bit of america go see him selling a little or a lot